If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk, featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about an infamous day in Soho's history, when one of its most feared gangsters got his comeuppance having been gunned down in a dingy basement. He was so hated and despised that his death was covered up to protect his attacker. But who was Amabal Rika and what was the truth? Murder Marley's research using the original police files. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that no matter where you listen to this podcast you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 94, The Terror of Maltese London. Today, I'm standing on Carlisle Street in Soho, W1. One road east of the Blackout Ripper's second victim, Evelyn Oatley. One street north of the Mafia hit on Alfredo Zomparelli. Three roads south of the Charlotte Street robbery. A few doors up from the chronic Canadian masturbator, Richard Rhodes Henley. And just a few streets from the home of the final victim of one of Britain's most terrifying serial killers. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Carlisle Street sits at the top of Dean Street. It's a tiny side street, barely 100 feet long, with a dead end to the left, Soho Square to the right, Old Compton Street below, 
and the Tottenham Court Road exit of the Elizabeth Line above. Even though it's nowhere near Tottenham Court Road and is actually on Oxford Street. But hey, don't planners just love confusing the tourists? This street has all the essentials that any aspiring Soho resident would ever need. There's a jazz club, a piano bar, two pubs, a secret gin joint, a posh hotel for the rich, a posh hostel for the not-so-poor, and loads of Airbnbs for those who aren't choosy about sleeping in a part-time brothel, as well as two pizza shops, a hairdresser's, a nail salon, a lap dancing club, a centre for drug addicts, a sexual disease clinic, and the headquarters of satirical newspaper, Private Eye. Oh yes, all of the essentials. Next to Pizza Pilgrims is number three Carlisle Street. A four-storey brown brick premises with an anonymous black door, which is now the offices for a developer of boutique hotels. Oh joy. So expect another swanky pad to be built real soon, with pillows woven from yak scrotums, bed sheets washed in Perrier, loo paper folded into the shape of the guest's name, stunningly beautiful meals that can only be eaten using tweezers, a minibar with 52 varieties of tap water, and an entirely unironic gallery featuring photos of the old Soho that they bulldozed to make way for this fake Soho. And yet, it was here, on Thursday the 15th of June 1948, in the basement of number 3 Carlisle Street, that one of Soho's deadliest and most feared gangsters called Amabal Rika was erased forever. Amabal Rika was known by everyone as the terror of Maltese London. The whole of Soho and beyond knew about this monster. He was part man, part myth, but pure evil. A nasty, brutal bully with crazy eyes, fast fists and a furious temper. And as this crazed killer stalked the shadows, curtains closed, doors shut and streets fell silent. As every man, boy and gangster trembled and quaked. As they lived in fear of the terror of Maltese London. In court, petrified witnesses muttered their descriptions of him as He's a monster! A real monster! He truly is a very dangerous man. No one could touch him. Not the police, not the bosses, no one. And although it is said that many witnesses were too scared and intimidated to testify against him at trial. Everyone agreed. We're all frightened of him. He's killed before, and he'll kill again. And always being armed with a knife, a gun, and a knuckle duster, as Soho's most feared gangster, who would hurt any rival with impunity. Word got around that he is the most dangerous Maltese man in the country. Why haven't you heard of this beast? because no one 
in all of Soho and beyond dared to speak the name of the terror of Maltese London. <laughs> or so they say. You see, the problem with gangsters is there's often a large discrepancy between the man and the myth, as the bulk of a gangster's work is to build their reputation. Fear is a greater weapon than a gun, so it's simpler to have a rival back down than to risk a fight to the death. Every gangster claims to be the biggest, the baddest and the cruelest. And when you live in a world of lies, reputations are created with rarely an ounce of truth or proof, except by the pals of wannabe gangsters, as just by knowing them, they also benefit by making a myth. In 1910, Amabile was born in Valletta, the capital city of Malta, a tiny island in the Mediterranean Sea between Italy, Libya and Tunisia. Little is known about his upbringing except the basics. His father died young. He was one of six siblings. Aged 13, he was sent to Borstal for theft. He left school uneducated. He had no known occupation. He married aged 19 and fathered four children. In fact, the only accurate details we have about his life are from his criminal record. On paper, there's no denying that Amabal Rika was a criminal, having amassed 47 convictions by the age of 28. And part of his terrifying reputation was built on the fact that he'd served prison time for GBH, attempted murder and murder. In truth, he was little more than a mindless thug, who was hot-tempered, fond of his drink and handy with his fists. So although his number of convictions was impressive, the crimes themselves were not. His 47 convictions included 27 counts of fighting while drunk, 8 counts of assault while drunk, 2 counts of willful damage while drunk, 5 counts of insulting a policeman, 3 counts of uttering immoral words in public, 1 count of trespassing, and another count of being a stowaway on a ship, meaning he didn't buy a ticket. Ooh, what a bad boy. He was imprisoned twice, fined often, and all of his heinous crimes were marked on his record as minor offences. His reputation as a big-time gangster was built on the foundation of being a small-time crook. But a big part of his myth-making was that he had murdered a man in Malta. We're all frightened of him. He's killed before and he'll kill again. He's the most dangerous Maltese man in the country. But the truth of what happened isn't exactly the kind of myth which makes a monster. On the 17th of May 1932, 22-year-old Amabile was tried at Malta court. The jury heard that whilst he and his pal were fooling around with a loaded revolver, it slipped from his fingers, bounced, misfired, and having been shot in the leg, his pal died a day later of blood loss and shock. 
Amabal wasn't charged with murder, manslaughter, or even GBH. He was found guilty of the minor offence of causing death through negligence and non-observance of the regulations. He served four months in prison. Amabal wasn't a killer. He was an imbecile. But having fudged the facts, a legitimate lie had become a terrifying tale for those with no access to the truth. In 1938, Amabal fled Malta with his wife and eldest son. He served briefly in the army, separated from his wife, shacked up with a gypsy woman in Kent called Louisa, and had four more children. By wartime, with the rise of Maltese gangsters like the Messina brothers and the Vassallo gang, even though he went by such preposterous nicknames as the Maltese Barber and Ricky the Malt, simply by being Maltese meant that his name came with a cachet of fear. He's a monster, a real monster. Backed up by a myth that he was a killer. He's killed before and he'll kill again. In 1947, he was convicted twice, serving three months for stealing food stamps and 18 months for assault which he bragged was attempted murder, but it wasn't. We're all frightened of him. And this is how his myth grew. No one could touch him. Not the police, not the bosses, no one. On the 13th of June, 1948, the 38-year-old boasted that he had roughed up a rival in a brawl on Bateman Street. But it was little more than a slight scuffle with a barrow boy, which left him with a limp. He is the most dangerous Maltese man in the country. But as people gossip and word spread, what began as a small fib soon spawned into something truly terrifying. And that is how Amabal Rika became the terror of Maltese London. And yet, having got into a petty beef with a couple of minor hoods, two days later, he was dead. Amabal Rika's reign of terror was extinguished by the Ferruja brothers. Unlike their rival, who was only one, they were three. Philip, Francis, and Joseph Ferruja. And just like the terror of Maltese London, their reputations as villains, hoods, and bad boys, who were feared, respected, and bladdy bladdy blah, is still a lie which is trotted out in those tawdry, semi-literate toilet paper books, usually titled Geezers and Gangsters, which over-glorify the criminal acts of massive morons to a mythical status, without a single shred of proof. So in fact, the truth about the Ferruja brothers is less terrifying and rather more pathetic. Born seven years apart, with Philip in 1912, Joseph in 1919 and Francis in 1926, the Ferruja brothers were raised in the Maltese city of Zeebug to a farmer mother 
and a stonemason father. With Philip becoming a cook, Joseph working as a stevedore unloading cargo ships, and Francis as a labourer in Valletta Harbour. As with Amabile, the only facts we have about these big-time villains is from their criminal records. Joseph Ferrugia, commonly known by the nickname of Joe, or when his mummy was angry with him, by his birth name of Giuseppe. He had two convictions for brawling, one for disturbing the peace, one for using immoral words, one for throwing stones, and one which he could have used to balloon his bad boy image by fudging the facts to suggest that it was attempted murder. But having accidentally discharged a gun near his father and causing a very superficial wound, it was deemed such a minor misdemeanor that he was given a slap on the wrist and sent home. Joseph was bound over twice, he served no prison time, and he paid fines that totaled a whopping 12 shillings. He came to London in April 1946, leaving his wife and two children in Malta. He shacked up with a sex worker called Cecily Courtney. He served four months for a living off immoral earnings. As being broke, he lived in her Notting Hill flat. And he worked as a waiter at the premier restaurant on Oxford Street. As for his older brothers, Francis, nicknamed Frank, but born Francisco, was charged twice for fighting, once for using immoral words like damn, god, and maybe even bugger, and was fined 10 shillings. He moved to London in December 1946 and joined Joseph as a cook on Oxford Street. Whereas Philip, although he claimed to be a decent, hard-working man, with a wife, a child, and a successful career, as head chef at the Melita restaurant, also on Oxford Street. In April 1948, he was found guilty of running a brothel and was fined £52, which he paid. And that is the infamous and terrifying Faruja Brothers. They're not exactly big-time criminals, but this need for a fearsome status does make sense. As living and working in post-war Soho, being Maltese men whose nationality came with a certain criminal cachet, it's less likely that their reputation was a true reflection of who they really were, and it's more likely that they adopted a persona to protect themselves from others, as fear is a greater weapon than a gun. So there you have it. Four of Soho's most infamous villains, comprised of little more than a mouthy ruffian who limped like a lame puppy, having bashed up his tootsies in a brawl with a barrow boy, and three part-time cooks with a brief history of fisticuffs, chucking stones, and uttering dirty words. Ooh. And yet, on Tuesday the 15th of June 1948, Joseph Ferruja would shoot Amabal Rika dead. But why? Was it a revenge attack, a turf war, a gangland hit, or a sadistic execution to send a message to the criminals of Soho that a new terror of Maltese London was in town and he was not to be trifled with? Sadly not. Their rift 
was a rather petty affair, and it all began in the place where it would end. In November 1945, two and a half years before the murder, Philip Ferrugia decided to treat his wife Olive to a lovely evening at the Maltese Club at number three Carlisle Street. Sashaying in via the squeaky side door, the giggling couple sauntered down the dark alley that it shared with a pub, a cafe, a brothel, and a funeral parlour. Having passed the overflowing bins, Philip escorted his beloved down a rickety metal stairs and into two dimly lit rooms. Filled with a mishmash of threadbare chairs, wonky tables, and the stale odour of sweat, smoke and bum guffs. Where she would be spoiled by a choice of either tea or coffee, a game of billiards or rummy, and the inane waffle of several part-time cooks and pretend gangsters, who bitched and moaned about all manner of pathetic shit, like a gaggle of old ladies sat around a biscuit tin at their weekly sewing circle. That night, as a regular at the Maltese Club, Amabal Rika was there with his new floozy. As always, being drunk, brusque and potty-mouthed, this nasty bastard began to abuse the girl whose name he hadn't even bothered to learn by slapping her and whacking her with a billiard cue. So doing the decent thing, Philip and Olive stepped in. Amabal pushed Olive, a lady half his size, to the floor and squaring off against Philip, with his chest puffed out and acting like he was a Billy Big Bollocks. Amabal warned Philip, If your wife go to police, I kill you. Obviously, by I kill you, he probably meant that, having fumbled a loaded gun in his fat fingers, he'd then drop it and accidentally cause his death by negligence. But at that point, the spat between Amabal Rika and the Ferruja brothers had begun. Over the next two years, Amabal repeatedly taunted the brothers. He chided Francis by saying, Don't speak to me no more. I break you three up, run you out of London. And twice he taunted Joseph by cursing, I will kill you all. I will cut you all up into pieces and bits and throw you all away. But he never did. Wisely, Philip stayed out of the way. But for various reasons, the two brothers could not. As they all frequented the same club, often worked in the same restaurant, and as if this wasn't weird enough, Francis lived in a top-floor flat at 66 Frith Street in Soho. And his flatmate was Amabal Rika. So scared was little Francis of his burly roommate, who had eyes like Satan's nostrils, fists like meat hooks, and it is said that he slept with a knuckle duster on his fist, a knife in his hand, and a loaded gun in his underpants, that by the end of May, even though he was still paying the rent, Francis was sleeping elsewhere. Francis was petrified. But just three weeks later, Amabal Rika would be dead. Tuesday the 15th of June 1948 began as a very ordinary day 
The two Ferruja brothers woke up in Cecily Courtney's flat at 17 St Luke's Road in Notting Hill with Joseph in his girlfriend's bed and being too afraid to head home, Francis kipping in their spare room. Francis hadn't slept a wink all night. As a small and slightly nervous man, he didn't like confrontations, he wasn't much of a fighter and usually froze when faced with danger. Over a late tea of egg, chips and fried bread, Joseph reassured his baby brother and winked as he tapped his jacket pocket, which ominously bulged with a 32 caliber Walther pistol, which he had purchased just three weeks earlier. At 6pm, Joseph and Francis caught the bus to Oxford Street, where they did their shopping, collected their payslips, chatted with chums, and then treated themselves to a nice cup of tea at the Tulip, a basement restaurant at 56 Greek Street, situated smack bang in the heart of Soho, but just one street from Amabile, Francis's flat, and the Maltese Club. In less than three hours, Joseph Ferruja would shoot Amabile Rika to death. But he didn't know that. Joseph was here for billiards, not a bloodbath. But by 10pm, all that would change. Sat inside the tulip, supping tea, although Joseph and his gun had left the pots and balls, Francis felt safe, as around him were his pals. The mood was casual, fun and calm until the door swung open. Suddenly, a silence gripped the room as mouths dried, throats gulped and hearts stopped. But it was too late to leave or even to flee as being a bad dude with 47 convictions for assault, attempted murder and murder, including a brutal attack on a barrow boy who some said was lucky to be alive. Everybody fell in fear of the terror of Maltese London. Looming ever closer, wincing at the foul smell from his sweaty brown suit, his yellowy crooked teeth and his bad breath, owing to his passion for pickled eggs, Francis's petrified pals shuffled further away in their seats, as within an inch of Francis' ear, Amabile hissed, I run you out of town. I kill you bad. Perhaps this was an empty threat, one he had reneged on many times before. Or maybe it wasn't. Francis was alone, afraid, and unlike his brother, he was unarmed. Spotting his moment, Francis fled the restaurant, and a few seconds later, he was safe. Except, as he reached Soho Square, he realised he hadn't paid for his cup of tea and returned to the tulip with an apology on his lips and a tuppence in his hand. Amabile saw him, got up and stalked his tiny prey all the way to the Maltese Club at number 3 Carlisle Street. 30 minutes later, Amabile Rika, the terror of Maltese London, and one of Soho's most infamous and brutal gangsters would be gunned down in a hail of bullets and blood.
sort of. Through the dark back alley, past the overflowing bins, and down the rickety metal staircase, Francis dashed into the safety of the Maltese club. Inside sat the usual band of misfits and part-time kitchen staff, all sipping tea and acting tough, shielded from danger by a bluff reputation and a silly nickname. In the billiard room, Joseph played against the club's co-owner, Big George Mifsud, as watching from the side was Nicky the Maltborg, Giovanni the Meat Portelli, George Fisheye Taluti, and a man who was only known as Cush, because his surname was Cusherson. And in the card room, playing gin rummy, was Frankie Jerdin, who had a squint, Nicky the Butcher, who had a double thumb on his right hand, and John Borg, known as Hanzira as being short, fat and pale, his nickname translated as the pig. They were joined in a game of cards by Francis, as out back in the kitchen, Harry Ardino was making the tea. As notorious gangsters go, these guys were at best slightly surly, and at worst, laughable. At 10.15pm, the heaving sweaty bulk of Amabal Rika limped down the stairs of the Maltese club. To the left, in the card room, he saw no sign of Francis, whose weak bladder meant he had popped to the loo. So Amabal walked into the billiard room. Slumping his flabby backside on a threadbare chair, the fat oaf groaned and moaned, as having removed his shoe, a dirty bandage, and massaging his stinky foot. The Maltese terror whinged about his blisters like an old biddy with a dodgy hip. Unwittingly, admitting that his foot wasn't injured in a bloody fight with a barrow boy, but that his shoes were rubbing a bit. But across the billiard table, seeing Joseph Ferruja, suddenly Amabile's mood changed. Popping on his shoe, and standing nose-to-nose with his rival, as he hovered his hand just inside his jacket, Amabal shot Joseph a filthy look and cursed, I kill you, I kill you both, only to then grin, laugh, and back away. For now, the threat was over, and the danger looked as if it had passed. But by the time that the laughing bully had limped back into the hallway, in the card room, he saw that Francis had returned. They traded glances. With Amabile stood by the stairs, glaring and grinning, taunting this tiny terrified man, whose playing cards violently shook in his terrified hand. As this infamous killer, feared across all of Soho, mouthed the words, I kill you. I kill you. With his hand in his jacket, he lunged forward. Fired from a distance of just half an inch, the first shot ripped through Amabal's back, breaking his third rib and fragmenting into bits as one piece pierced his heart and the main chunk of lead sliced through his left lung. As he sunk to his knees, Joseph fired again 
but his piss-poor aim scared the shit out of the card players, as a smoking-hot bullet riveted itself into the heart of the wooden table. Clutching his chest, Amabile cried, Kadoni! Kadoni! Which in Maltese means, they've killed me. Being slumped like a sweaty lump at the foot of the stairs, his painful demise was marked by his wristwatch, which shattered at exactly 10.29pm. The moment this nasty bastard struggled to clamber up the stairs and out to the safety beyond, as his slipping feet swam in a pool of his own sticky blood. Dying and wailing, no one stopped to help him, no one came to his aid. Even though there was a telephone just above his head, no one called the police until ten minutes later. Amabal Rika was rushed to Charing Cross Hospital, but by 10.55pm, he was declared dead. When the police arrived, the crime scene was strangely empty. There was a dying man, two bullets, an empty cartridge, and lots of blood. But no gun, no culprit, and not a single eyewitness. A few had stayed behind, but they all claimed to have been indisposed, distracted, or suffering from some kind of odd amnesia when the shooting took place. And as there was apparently no regulars in this club that evening, only strangers, the manager could only remember his customers by nickname. By the next morning, as Soho's Maltese community was small, and all of the known felons who frequented that club weren't difficult to track down, every witness was identified, interrogated, and even though their memories were vague, and many miraculously lost the ability to speak a single word of English, the only two people who were missing was Joseph and Francis. Joseph and Francis Ferrugia were tried at the Old Bailey on the 16th of July 1948. They both pleaded not guilty on the grounds of self-defence. But as the dead man was unarmed, 21-year-old Francis was charged as an accessory and sentenced to six months in prison. And 29-year-old Joseph was found guilty of murder. He was sentenced to five years, but served only three. And that was the story of Amabile Rika. Supposedly, he was one of Soho's most dangerous and feared gangsters who died from a badly aimed shot by a part-time cook, having bitched about his feet, made faces, and cursed some empty threats in a club which only sold tea. He sounds pathetic, but this need to have a reputation is common amongst frightened boys trying to play big in a man's world. So was this a myth, created as a form of self-protection? Was it concocted by those who witnessed his death as a form of self-defense? Or was Amabal Rico really the terror of Maltese London? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. After the break, I'm going to eat a biscuit, slurp my tea, entertain you with a quiz, part of which I'll probably ruin, and I'll impart some more facts about this case in an exciting installment 
of Extra Mile. Before that, a big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Dreaded Frankie and Estelle Sullivan. I thank you both. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Done, 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 done. Long. Difficult to edit, but there we go. Oh, hello, everyone. Murder mile, extra mile time. Oh, doors open, windows open, get some air in. Oh, I can't find, oh, I can't find the latch to the window. Come on, come on. Why is that window not opening? Hang on, there we go, window open, there we go. Bit of fresh air, core dear, lots of sunlight streaming in. Oh, how is everyone? We all good? We all good? I'm going to pop my tea on, get my cake ready. You can do the same if you like. Tea, cake, all, all done. Um, I'm going to shout it from here. We all know this bit anyway. It's extra mile time, isn't it? Extra mile, uh, extra bits. Uh, I have a cup of tea and a bit of cake. And 
I tell you some stuff that wasn't in the episode that's probably been edited out, or 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 stuff that I de I know definitely isn't isn't in the episode, uh, because you know sometimes there's bits that you just can't put in, or it's just extraneous information. And you just think, nah, let's do it next time. So, tea bag in, sugar in, only one sugar because this is sugar sugar. Oh, drop my sugar. Bollocks. There we go. Uh, coming back. Right. Oh, there we go. Uh, let's do a quick update on what's going on. Oh, I'm going to open a door. I'm going to open a door and get some fresh air in. Oh, oh that's better. Oh, open another window. I'm going to open this window as well. Look at me spoiling myself with all these windows open. It's quite a sunny day and there's a lot of light streaming in so oh dear ah right uh what's the update everything's uh, as before here still in the same place N not really moving gotta stay here for another two weeks which is fine uh i think the the easing of the lockdown has happened here which is mm, i know the government is desperate for that because they're more concerned about the economy than people but you know britain has just passed the past the point where uh, we have, what is it, um, highest, was it third highest death toll in the world, highest in Europe, second highest in the world. And they're just, they're easing, they're easing the, um, um, the lockdown rules. Not good, not good. Things aren't going to go well. Uh, but there we go. Let's, let's not get maudlin about this. It, it is what it is. Um, just to say, uh, Murdermile Walk still isn't open yet. What I've made the decision to do is um, because it's a, you know you're out on the street and you're meeting people and you know it's it you know uh, if I do reopen it, it will be limited on, uh, open on a limited basis so it'll probably just be ten people allowed so we can keep the distance. Um, even if the government says yeah you can start doing tours again, I'm probably not going to do it. I'm going to do it open it when I feel it's safe. I don't want to be one of these people who rush into it and then you know be responsible for a second wave of infections and things like that i'd rather be safe about it so uh it will open when i when it's safe to do so and when i feel it's safe to do so uh but just to say if you've already got tickets for the the i know some people have booked for the year ahead or you've got vouchers uh don't worry about that that's all good uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to extend those vouchers for as long as needed, really. As long as this thing goes on, I'll extend it. And, you know, people people have got in touch with me and said, can we extend it? It's like, yeah, not a problem. I just I add an extra year on. It doesn't make a difference. So that's not a problem. Uh, and if you want it refunded, I can do that. It may take a little while. Some people ask for refunds. I hadn't got any money in my account. So I had to go, I'm really sorry. I can't refund you right now because I haven't got any money. <laughs> you have to wait. I've never had, normally I have money on my account to be able to do things like that. But I don't anymore. So, but there we go. That's what it is. Um, uh, hope you enjoyed that episode. This was an episode I've been meaning to pull out the archives for bloody ages. But it's one of those ones I thought, oh, I bet it's going to be dull. I bet it's just going to be someone beating someone up so i because i didn't know enough about it i kept putting it off and then i pulled it out and i read it and i thought ah oh, this is the 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 murder itself is pretty pathetic do you know there was enough patheticness about it that i kind of liked like do you know whinging and bitching about their feet and the fact that all the gangsters in there seem like 
you know, just like old ladies in a sewing circle. No offense to people in sewing circles, but it, it and it reminded me of a, if I hate gangster books. I hate people glorifying gangsters. Most of the time, gangsters are really, really dull. And it reminded me of a book I did read ages ago, which is really good. If you want a gangster book, this is an interesting one. It's called The Real Donny Brasco uh, by Joseph D. Pistone. Um, it's uh, uh, Johnny Depp was in a film about it ages ago. It's about a, uh, uh, an FBI officer who gets uh, goes into the mafia and actually rises through the ranks in mafia uh, as a kind of a jeweler. Uh, but it's a real book, but it's fascinating because it's 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 a big chunk of it is about how dull and boring the mafia life is. It, on TV, they glamorise it a lot, but really, it isn't it's a lot of sad, depressed people sitting around watching telly, doing nothing. It's very over glamorised. They're all poor. They're all struggling. They lack brains. There's no masterminds there. And there's a lot of kind of instability in there as well. So it's a fascinating book. Just, just that's actually why why the mafia hated him a lot more was that instead of even though he was inside the mafia, they were like he's showing us for the idiots that we really are. And unfortunately, gangsters are that they're not brains of the operation, but they love to brag. So this is what the episode I wanted to write. Just putting my water in. So I kind of alluded to this in this Alfredo Zamparelli episode that people always go, oh, gangsters, gangsters are all geniuses and all bad boys. But like, uh, as I mentioned with the Tony Mello episode, episode two, I put in that um, uh, Tony Mello was was cut up by Mad Frankie Fraser because Mad Frankie Fraser is the one who kind of brags about it. But the more I look into it, there's currently 12 gangsters. I'm a gangster who claim to have cut up Tony Mello. Yeah, there's three who claim that they murdered him, even though he was shot by his business partner. We know that it's all proven. But that's the problem with gangsters is is they will happily go in and take claim for everything and go, yeah, I did this. I'm a bad boy. I'm a gangster. But there's no proof for it at all. They they're they're just bullshitters, which is I, I what's it called? There's a podcast I was listening to about mafia. It's, it's called Crime City or something. I can't remember what it's called. I got partway through it and I was enjoying it, but then I started to get pissed off because it was a lot of the gangsters in there are all like that. They're all the same. They all claim, make all these claims all the time. But when you when you sit them down and pin them down with information, they're like, oh, no. It's blah, blah, blah. Do you know, they, they're just full of shit. So that's why I wanted to do this episode. I thought uh, this would be a good way to kind of... And it was it was funny going through, like, their back history and finding out the truth about what they did. It was like, it's so pathetic. It really is. But but th- but that is how myths start. It's like, you know, the same with anyone. Anyone, like, even if you look into someone's past history, even if they're a success, everyone fudges the truth. Everyone takes a perspective. Everyone twists it slightly to make themselves either better or poorer or, do you know, whatever suits their story. Especially, look at politicians. They're, they all do it. We all do it when we pull out our CVs and resumes. We kind of edit things down to make it better or, you know, whatever. So... That's why I wanted to do this episode. I'm going to grab my tea. Tea with uh, no proper milk today. No, no moo moo, uh, moo moo boo boo milk. Yeah, just going to have regular old coffee, mate. Regular old coffee, mate. No cake today. Um, 
I tried those biscuits last week. The the uh, the uh, Maryland cookies, cookies and cream. Maryland cookies. What have you done? It's like it's so bland. No texture to them. Really dry. Even when you dunk them in the tea, they're not good. Really gone off Maryland cookies. Not proper cookies. Cookies should be a bit chewy. There's oh, there's a great place. I hope they still survive called Cream on Darblay Street in Soho. It's uh, a place where we normally, where we used to stop when I used to tours. We used to do tours, we used to stop there. They just opened up a couple of uh, weeks before everything finished. And they're big, fat cookies, more like muffins, and they're big and gooey and juicy, and oh my God, they're good. That's proper cookie, not the crap that we're used to. Anyway, what have I got today? My little treat is Tesco's Finest. Ooh, Tesco's Finest. Triple sh- triple chocolate shortbread. Ooh, yes. Big old big old chocolate chunks in there as well. So that's all good. That's all good. I look forward to that. Am I putting on weight? Yes. Right. Let's I tell you what, let's let's do the quiz and then because we've got a lot of information to get through, a lot of stuff I had to take out, especially at the end. Right, quick slurp of tea. Oh, cup of tea, lovely. Right. Question number one. What type of gun was Amabal Rika shot with? That was the question number one. Question number two. What was the name of the restaurant Francis forgot to pay for his cup of tea? I think that was one of my favourite details. <laughs> Francis the gangster forgetting to pay for his cup of tea and then going back and going in and apologising and pulling out a tuppence. Uh, question number three. <laughs> Just some of the, I, I'm sure that someone's listening to this story and they go, "Well, that's not true." But it's like, it's I, the more I was going through these details, I had to keep going back and rechecking everything because I was like, "I'm surely someone is just yanking me chain on this one." But really, no, it was they. They're not the bad boys they make out to be. Question three: What jobs did the Ferruja brothers originally do in Malta? Question four. Amabal Rika was the terror of Maltese London. But what other nicknames was he known by? There were two of them. Question five. What time was Amabal Rika shot according to his watch? I've written the wrong time here. I'm just going to amend that. Question number six. Amabal, when Amabal was shot, he cried, Katuni, Katuni. But what does that mean? Uh, question seven. Name one of the five crimes that Joseph Ferruja was charged with in Malta. If you like, you can name all five. Or you can name as many as you like, in fact. Uh, question eight. Name the Ferruja brothers' birth names. So their real names, of course, was Philip well, the names they used, the Englishized versions, were Philip, Francis and Joseph. But what were their real names? Question nine. One of the witnesses to the murder was Joe, was John Borg. He was short, fat and pale. Uh, and he had the nickname of Hanzira. But what does Hanzira mean? What was his nickname? Question ten. Amabile Rika died in which hospital? Interestingly, it's a hospital that uh, Freddie Mills died in as well. Uh, no longer there, just off the strand, but it is still there. Right, let's get dive into some details. Uh, 
there's quite a few details that I didn't go into because I, 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 do you know, when you're into the story and you've done the murder, the last thing you need is like more extraneous detail. So I pulled stuff out. So um, the real owner of the club was uh, Emmanuel Vassallo. He's part of the Vassallo gang, the Maltese collective. You've got the, the Messina brothers and the Vassallo gang, rival gangs. He owned this club. Um, but he always pretended that he never owned it. So he had George, George Miff, Misford bloody stupid name uh as the co-owner of it uh obviously in there we've got nicholas borg known as nicky not related to john borg there's a lot of people who don't seem to be related to people uh, nicola ferruja no relation to the ferruja brothers uh, he was a, a light fitter by trade but known as nicky the butcher why we don't know and yes he had a double thumb on his right hand um john borg was there he was a delivery driver from grocer uh, called Hanzira. I'm not going to explain why because that's in the thing next. Let's skip through these. George Misford. Da, 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 da. Let's go. Let's go straight to the murder. See, there's various versions of the murder because um, every when the police uh, collared everyone, everyone was like, "Oh, I never saw it." And then people started talking, but then there were all kind of weird versions of it. So George Mifford. <sighs> Stupid. Uh, apologies if you, if your name is Mif, Miss Mifsud. Uh, uh, he said that uh, Ambal arrived at 10.15. He sat in the billiard boon, room and complained that one of his feet were hurting. He took off his shoe, massaged it, put it back on. Um, he, he said he heard, but he didn't see, which is amazing because his club's really small. He heard two shots from the other room. He dashed into the card room and heard Ambal say, Ooh, he's killing me which I guess is what you do when you've been shot. Uh, he said, Amabar Rico was doubled up, trying to walk towards him. Uh, uh, George ran up the staircase. Uh, uh, George Mifford, so the co-owner of, the, of the, the club, says he saw a man run towards Soho Square. I didn't know who he was. Yeah. In a small club at the back on a back street where everyone knows each other and they're, it's all, they're all Maltese and he said he didn't know anyone. What absolute bullshit. He was the one who, who eventually did call the police but not until about 10 minutes later. Uh, George always said the club was quiet, neat, orderly. Uh, they don't have an alcohol licence which is why they only drink tea and coffee. They play billiards and cards but they can't. Uh, they don't have a gambling licence so they just play for matches. Yeah, whatever. Uh, two shots were heard in the club. Um, Rika was uh, found doubled up in the doorway just at the bottom of the stairs. He was fired. It was, shot was fired from about half an inch away. Uh, Francis' statement, Francis Ferruja said that Amabar glared at him. He had his hand in his pocket and he walked towards him. Uh... uh he said that Amabal Rika said when he was shot ooh my head yeah uh, obviously uh, after this point so the, uh, there was a bit of a panic after that witnesses started fleeing everyone fleed including Joseph and Francis uh, Joseph said to his brother you see what happened to me I lose my temper uh, uh, that's what he said to him but Joseph actually said that he said uh uh, I thought he had a gun, gun as in Amabarika, so I didn't give him a chance. I got the gun out of my pocket and shot him. He turned round 
and was just passing me out of the billiard room when I shot him. Uh, I, what is going on outside? That's really noisy. Uh, he tried to run into the card room. He bent down again. I fired again. Uh, although, although it's weird, everyone's statement kind of uh, isn't really backed up by the police evidence. The police evidence were like, okay, uh, everyone is lying here. Everyone is just telling their own version. Uh, witnesses, all the witnesses flee. Um, uh, the two brothers ran out, headed towards Oxford Street. Uh, oh God! Uh, Francis uh, was thrown the gun by uh, Joseph, and they hid it in the bushes in Soho Square. I didn't put this in the story because we kind of got to the story by the end of that point. Uh, ten twenty-nine. So basically, ten minutes after the murder, uh, the police received a message. Uh, that was by John Mifsud, who called them, but he left it for about ten minutes. PCs Leslie Cummings and Arthur. Pearson of V Division went to the basement. Uh, Amabar was lying at the bottom of the stairs, still alive, head on the bottom step, knees drawn up, moaning and holding his stomach, bloodstains on the front of his shirt and a trail of bloodstains to and from the card room. Police found a bullet casing in the card room floor. The door was open. Uh, DS Shepard arrived at, arrived at 11pm. Uh, what else we got... Uh, when the police spoke to the manager, George Misford, he said he was unable to recall how the dying man received his wounds. Uh, uh. Amabar was removed by ambulance. There was no weapon found in the club because they had dumped it in Soho Square. One empty cartridge on the floor. Uh, Lewis, a man called, uh, this is something I didn't put in the story, but uh, Lewis was in there, who was actually Amabar Rika's brother, was in there as well, followed him to Charing Cross off hospital and identify the body when he was dead there was a bullet hole in the top of the card table with a direct line leading to the uh, lino below and a floorboard proving that everyone was lying uh, and they recovered a spent bullet in the floorboard so actually um it's they're unsure but it's more than likely that uh uh Rico was probably leaning over the table at the time that he was shot um, as mentioned before, he was unarmed. He didn't have a knife. He didn't have a gun. He didn't have a knuckle duster. So all these stories about him being—he's armed. He's gangster. Blah, 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 he's deadly. He hadn't got any of that at all. What he was reaching for inside his jacket, we don't know. Given the fact that he was a bullshit artist and he liked to go, "I kill you, I kill you." Given the fact that um, he never did that and he re always reneged on those kind of things, it was just empty threats, like a child reaching into his pocket pretending he's got a gun. Yeah, all those bad boys who walk around town with their Terry Towling tracksuits on, Joe, trying to make out that they're bad boys, and they're not. They're waiting for their mummy to make them pizza, pizza and chips. Um, Amabar was taken to Charing Cross Hospital. He arrived at ten fifty p.m. Examined by Doctor Daniel Stone, he was unconscious, uh, but he was dead within five minutes. He was dressed, uh, undressed to aid his treatment. The doctor noticed a bullet between his body and his shirt. Uh, a small circular wound to the left shoulder uh, and that his watch had stopped at 10.29pm with the glass smashed. Uh, his clothes were extensively blood-stained. Uh, what else have we got? Unfortunately, there's no crime scene photos with this one. It, it, I don't know why. Uh, they're just not there, So, which was a shame because they would have been quite interesting, even just to see what the room looked like. I would have liked to see that, but 
sometimes you get there and you go oh, no crime scene photos uh the investigation was headed up by di watson payton um as mentioned you know everyone they managed to track down everyone who was involved because it's not difficult they're in soho small maltese community everyone knows each other people talk no one particularly liked amabile rika so you know if it was someone people that he liked the community would have been very silent about it uh there's another case i haven't uh, i've researched i haven't put out as a story which is the same it's so difficult to prove because the community just won't talk i think it's 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 a um i think it's a turkish yeah it's turkish community and they won't no one will talk so it makes it for a very difficult story to tell but with this one i guess with if amabile would have been a nice person uh People, people would have come out and helped the police, but because he was a nasty piece of shit, everyone was like, "Fuck him." <laughs> no one could care really. But you know, the police knew who all these people were. They they went around. They rounded up the usual suspects. They uh, questioned them. Uh, probably threatened them with deportation as well, because you know many many probably weren't in the country legally. Um, and you know, people started talking, and they were like, "Oh, okay." So, um, do you know? Hanzira was there and and Borg was there and you know they started mentioning names and they started drawing up a picture and made it very easy and then they were like oh okay so Joseph and Francis weren't, weren't there well there we go um uh, a gun was proved to be uh oh I almost gave that away because that's a question isn't it uh the gun uh had it was an automatic it had one cartridge in the barrel one was spent sorry two were spent that we already know of uh, and there was also a, a bullet was stuck in the breech, which means that it had jammed. So uh, obviously Joseph fired two shots. One shot hit Rika in the back. The other one hit the table, which I, I think was must have been a mistake because he can't because his brother was sitting there for God's sake. So, so clearly he was probably trying to shoot off a couple of shots and then one jammed. So uh, what else we got? What else we got? Um, Amabar Rika's blood sample was at high levels of alcohol, the equivalent to five large whiskies. Ooh. Uh, what else we got? Oh, yeah, the escape. I didn't do the escape. So I took this out of the story because I, I just thought, do you know, the murders happen. Why do we need to know the escape unless it's really important? So Joseph's girlfriend was Cecily Courtney of 14 St. Luke's Road in Notting Hill. She arrived back home at 11.30pm and found them both in the flat. Um, uh, this tallies with their timings. Uh, Joseph and Francis had a long conversation in Maltese. She doesn't speak Maltese. Uh, Joseph said, I'm going to go to Southampton. He had a house in Southampton and he lived there for a while because uh, he, he was actually in the Navy for a bit. Uh, Joseph slept with Cecily and Francis again in the in the spare room. In the morning, uh, Cecily asked what was wrong, and uh, uh, Joseph said, "I have shot Rika in the club in Carlisle Street." Uh, they knew they needed to hide. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, Francis couldn't go back to his flat because that's in the middle of Soho, although you'd think. Uh, they went to their brothers. Uh, hang on, where'd they go? Where'd they go? Where'd they go? Uh, yeah, okay, so they need to escape. Uh, th they left their flat at 8.30am the next day. Uh, they were reading the newspapers. They saw that it was a newspaper as well. They'd already hidden the gun in Soho Square. Um, where is this bit? Uh, 
So, uh, Finding Francis is my section. Uh, by the morning, one witness had said that the Ferrugia brothers were ill-disposed towards the murdered man. Um, uh, Francis was traced to his address on Frith Street. Yes, he returned back to his flat on Frith Street. The police, by that, by the next morning, were already out sitting outside his flat and running a surveillance on there. Uh, they saw him come back into his flat and they detained him. Uh, initially, he denied all knowledge of the incident, but then he was like quite clear about it. He was like, "Yep, uh, this is what happened." Um, um, originally in the story, there's the with the original story to do with Philip and Olive when the the, the spat happens between the Ferrugia brothers and uh, Amabal. There is a bit of a beef with them back, apparently in Malta, where uh, Amabile slapped Philip Ferrugia, the older brother, but really don't have any details on that and can't prove it. Um, and the fight that happened originally in the Carlisle Club, this was the one about two and a half years earlier, um, when Amabile Rico was beating up his his girlfriend slash floozy, we're not too sure, um, uh, and Olive stepped in. It it said that she was pushed to the floor, but in other references it said she was pushed down a flight of stairs. But given the fact that she didn't report this to the police, and no one did, there's no real evidence for that at all. So I've kind of put it as she was pushed to the floor, but they're saying she was pushed down a flight of stairs, but we don't know. Uh, uh, it's also said that Amabar was trying to force the three brothers out of London, but we don't know why. Um, it's... It's weird. Why would another gangster say or, you know, force you out of London unless they were involved in something which we don't really know about? So uh, could be, could be. There could be some kind of prostitution angle there because don't forget their brother was charged with um, uh, running a brothel and Joseph was charged with living off and moral earnings. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, what else we got? What else we got? Let's have a look. Um uh, Francis was uh, questioned. He later gave a full statement implicating his own brother Joseph as the shooter uh, and that he had hidden the gun in Soho Square. He directed the police to it and it was found lying in the long grass. Not too sure where. Uh, Francis uh, originally, just after the shooting, took Joseph to Paddington Station and he got on a train to Cardiff. Uh, at that time, there was a large Maltese community in Cardiff. Um, he went to stay in Barry Island. Alright, but because uh, he had loads of friends there, and asked them to look after his wife and kids, as he was worried about their safety. Uh, what happened? Um, he read about all the murder in the papers. Uh, he found out that his brother had kind of been picked up by the police, and he was like, "Shit, I'm in trouble now." So what he did was he got back on the train. Oh, um. The police were already trying to track him down. They went around all of the Maltese cafes in the area trying to find him. But they managed to find his girlfriend. Uh, they uh, questioned his girlfriend. He found out about that and he was like, sod this. Uh, he surrendered himself at West End Central Police Station. Um, and his first comments were, my brother did not shoot Rika. I did. Uh, he was cautioned. And he said, Rika has been after us for a long time. We were all frightened of him, so I didn't give him a chance. I knew he had a gun. He didn't have a gun. Uh, what else we got? Uh, we don't need to know about that. They were charged. That's all good. Uh, when questioned, Joseph said, 
As Rika came towards me, someone pushed a gun in my hand and everything went blank. I can't remember if I shot him, but I heard a shot. You know what it's like when someone pushes a gun into your hand and you can't remember holding the gun and you can't remember shooting it, but you definitely remember hearing it. Unfortunately, <laughs> this whole case is just full of things like that. Um, I had a whole section to do with all the what everyone said and what everyone saw, and it was just so confusing. Everyone, everyone was like, I either weren't there or I didn't see it, or it was, or what they did. Do you know? They all say that different people saw different things. It's uh, so. Uh, to, to be honest, the police did a really good job on that. It wasn't difficult for them to solve. To be honest. Um, there originally was a coroner's inquest on the 22nd of june just a few days later uh the body was identified by lewis the brother of amabile uh evidence was given by a doctor and a pathologist and it was adjourned till the 27th of july trial as mentioned uh, uh sorry i'm just i was looking at stuff then uh no i think that's it i think that's everything i wanted to say yeah that's good for my breath i can do with my cup of tea now right let's do let's let's answer those questions and, th- and then we won't forget uh oh yeah um i'm gonna add something into uh a link on here so it's something i'm starting to do in, on uh for uh, people on oh oh something else i've got to mention as well people on patreon so uh i've started doing extra things on there a new one i rolled out recently was uh, uh someone was asking a question about how i uh create murder mile because it's not just it's not just me saying words and then just putting a bit of music underneath it's like it takes four days to really edit and make it all clean and to it's a long it's a long time so i put in a little uh a video that i'll put in a link online and it was uh how i uh in the last week's episode how i created the kind of the sound of uh the uh the mobile phone footage that you were hearing in the background how long that takes and then i want to so that's that's this week's one oh giving that one away it was about kind of street sounds and stuff like that so i've put that in so if you want to see that video and see how long it takes to do oh this is like one a one minute section of murder mile how long it takes just to do that so it does take a long time um before we do the answer to the questions I sh- the thing i mentioned in murder mile that i sh- haven't mentioned uh, is that i did a live read well i say i did a live reading at the time of this i haven't done the live reading yet that's this sunday so i don't know whether it went well i don't know whether it happened but um it was something else um uh, I just wanted to make things a little bit different for everyone and make it more exciting and you know ho- hopefully you know um because the people who do pay for patron you know their money really buys all the equipment and stuff like that so i want to make it worth their while i know people go oh, you always giving all this good stuff to people on patreon it's like yeah but they paying for like you know web hosting and you know my equipment and stuff like that so do you know they i I always feel that they they need to get their money's worth so uh, i've added in a new thing which is it won't be a regular thing but it's kind of um it's a live reading so i'm gonna i'll I'll be doing a live reading of this by the time you hear this it's already happened uh uh of this episode uh and uh, it's just me in front of a webcam 
you can tune in uh, you can get it through patreon uh, i would it it was open to everyone last week but the next the ones i do they won't be weekly but the the ones after that if it goes well um will be through patreon only uh, and it's just a bit of fun do you know yeah it's you see so even before the episode comes out you can hear the episode before it's even live so uh so uh just something different to to give people who very kindly uh keep murder mile alive by uh subscribing to patreon it's just a, another extra thing that i'm adding in there uh so you can subscribe to patreon it literally three three dollars a month is is the uh uh is the minimum on there and to be honest you get a lot of good stuff with that you got a thank you card for me with badges and goodies in it and you get uh each week is a weekly script with the original script is in there and you get all of the uh videos in there that i shoot for all this uh you get extra i sometimes post things online like uh photos and stuff but i save all of like the crime scene photos all the big stuff i i post it in uh, in patreon so they get all they all the good stuff as well and uh i'm doing all the bis- behind the scenes photos or uh, videos uh which will go on there as well and the live readings as well so uh, uh and if higher up the ranks you get uh um you get uh early access to all the episodes as well on on uh no adverts and uh higher up as well you get uh, an exclusive murder mile mug of goodies oh exciting so that's that bit done Whew, i'm out of breath already right tiring myself right let's do the answers to these questions Whew, a cup of tea oh it's nice to be silent for a bit i've been talking for two hours three hours straight Whew, right talking to myself right question one what type of gun was Amabal Rika shot with? He was shot with a thirty-two caliber Walther. So it's a German, uh, German-made World War Two gun. Uh, obviously, around the time of World War Two, even though we didn't have a lot of guns at the start of World War Two, there was a big influx of. If you listen to episode thirteen, I discuss it in there because we hadn't got because we don't have a gold gun culture here. Um, basically the british government said uh hey america do you have any spare guns and they were like yeah sure we can we can loan you we can give you a couple of like a hundred thousand or something like that so we had loads of variety not new guns but obviously it was spare ones that people there had spares and they were like yeah that's fine you can have that rifle if you like want and all that so we had an influx of i think it was actually i think it was near fifty thousand guns flooded into the country we used for the war and when the war was over obviously there's an excess of guns so they kind of wandered into the black market many of them were scrapped big chunks of them were dumped in the north sea uh, but unfortunately many of the guns are still out there today so a lot of the guns that uh, people are shot with are uh, actually still world war ii guns but they're just you know people have been keeping them in good condition Whew, that was a bit of a waffly answer. The answer was th- a thirty-two caliber Walther. Uh, there we go. Uh, question two: What was the name of the restaurant that Francis forgot to pay for his cup of tea in? It was, of course, the Tulip, which is on Greek Street. I've put a photo of that on uh, the photo of that on Patreon. Um, question three: What jobs did the Ferrugia brothers originally do in Malta? Uh, Philip was becoming a cook. Joseph worked as a stevedore, 
which meant he was unloading cargo in the dock and Joseph was a labourer in Valletta Harbour. Uh, question four. Whew, my energy has just dropped. Uh, Amambar Rika was the terror of Maltese London, but what other nicknames was he known by? These were briefly mentioned, but his nicknames were the Maltese Barber and Ricky the Malt. Uh, question five. What time was Amabal shot? According to his watch, it was 10.29. When Amabal was shot, he cried, Cadoni, Cadoni. But what does that mean? In Maltese, apparently, it means they've killed me. This is according to the witnesses there. But then again, I don't speak Maltese. So how would I know that? Uh, question seven. Uh, name one of the five crimes that Joseph Ferruja was charged with in Malta. You can name as many as you like, to be honest. Uh, they were. He had two convictions for brawling, i.e. fighting. One for disturbing the peace. One for using immoral words in public. One for throwing stones. And one for firing a gun near, but not at, his dad. What bad boy. Uh, question eight name the Ferruja's birth names uh, Philip was Philip <laughs> uh, Francis was Francisco and Joseph was Giuseppe question nine uh, one of the witnesses to the murder was John Borg he was short fat and pale but his nickname of Hanzira means what Apparently, according to those witnesses, it means the pig. Question 10. Uh, Amabal Rika died in which hospital? The answer is Charing Cross. And it's not it's not the big Charing Cross hospital that's there at the moment. Oh, that's the modern one. This is the... Um, right. It's right next to episode 3, which is the baby batterer of Bedford Bury. Um, just off the Strand... Uh, there's the uh, the current Charing Cross police station, and that is the old Charing Cross hospital. So that's whenever I mention Charing Cross, that's where they're taken to. So uh, so there, that's that done. Good, good. That was that episode, right? Now three days to get this edited. Ugh. Although it's been four days at the moment, so let's see how it goes. Um, Hope you all enjoyed that. I thought that was an interesting episode. I'm trying to balance it out. We had a bit of a kind of a political one last week. We've had some... Uh, um, I try and mix them up every week. So we've got investigation ones. Next week is going to be uh, quite a sad one. If it's the one I think it is, I haven't checked. They're all different. That's what I try and do is make sure they're all as different as possible so you don't get bored and you don't think, oh, we've heard this story before. Um, so there's new ones, there's old ones, there's emotional ones, it's kind of yeah, all different. So uh, I was looking forward to this one. I thought I thought when I did the research for this, I wrote a note to myself and, and I was like, let's have fun with this one. So that's his one done. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, I'm off to um, get this edited. Uh, uh, have yourself a good week. Stay safe. Be good. Drink tea and cake. Best wishes. Bye bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, the Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.